0: What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stickin' Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach listening to this, then I know you're familiar with Stickin' Ball, so I guess the only question is, are you signed up yet? With weekly updated videos from some of the greatest baseball and softball coaches in the country, it's a no-brainer. Check them out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on head baseball coach at Phoenix College, Kevin Kimball. Kevin enters his 11th year at the helm of the Bears baseball program. And in July of 2010, Kimball was hired after two years as an assistant at Gateway Community College. At the time, the Phoenix College baseball program had only had one winning season since 1993. And since Kimball took the reins, his teams have produced three of the top five win totals in school history. Kimball's 2015 Bear Squad was a few outs away from the College World Series after eliminating the defending national champions in the Region 1 semis. In 2017, they finally broke through and won a region championship. That 2017 team also broke the school record for wins in a season and was ranked in the top 20 for nine consecutive weeks. So on the show, we take a deep dive into his offensive philosophy, how they build everything around BP, and how they go about building hitters. Here is Kevin Kimball. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, man. How, how's things going over there?
0: It's good. It's good. We actually have pretty good weather. Uh, I'm in the hoodie. You know, we're in, uh, you don't get to probably experience that a ton over in p-town but uh it, it, it's not bad here so weather's good it's it's always good there you guys are, are shoveling sunshine pretty much the entire year but uh tell well contrary to where you grew up so let's let's you know let's just go ahead and, and dive into that so from montana the, the hotbed of basically professional baseball you guys per capita may have like the most pro athletes uh per capita in the country right i mean it's it's you and then we'll talk about some of the other guys, but, Uh, but tell us a little bit about that because I, I loved the story and thank you for sharing that, but, uh, hit the guests with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, grew up in, in a smaller town in, in Montana, uh, you know, 50,000 or so. I just happened to also live, uh, uh, right around the corner from Ryan leaf. Um, so we kind of grew up together. He was a year older than me. Uh, but, uh it was uh it was great growing up with him because he, he definitely pushed me to uh get a lot better athletically uh so um but yeah as far as growing up there and, and baseball um you know there is no high school baseball in montana uh which a lot of people don't don't realize until i tell them that uh we have summer legion baseball uh which i played uh growing up but uh There's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, baseball guys coming out of the state. When I grew up, there was no college baseball either in Montana. There was no, now there's two junior colleges and a Division II school in in Billings. Uh, But those were not options when I was um, going to high school. I ended up uh, then going to a junior college, Southern Idaho, Uh, had a great time there, and then Played uh, two years at the University of Northern Colorado, and kind of slowly migrated my way south into some some better baseball weather. So,
0: mm-hmm. no doubt, no doubt. So, you are in if I was reading that right in in your eleventh year uh, at Phoenix College, and so you just missed me. I, I played at South Mountain in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. So right before right before you got there, which is really neat. Uh, and in a small world. And so I, I re, I'll be honest with you. I remember Phoenix College being really bad. And since you uh, took over, they have been on an upward trajectory. And you guys have, have set lots of different team records. And so just talk to us about when you took that job. OK, so if, if I can use wasn't as successful as you uh, wanted it to be whenever you took the job uh so what was that transition like of getting guys to buy in to your culture uh, uh trying to understand what would lead to success there and then just really getting the the boat to turn because it's almost like a slow turn and and with junior college you've got uh, you know half of your roster uh, tr- turning over every single year and that's also could be a gift and a curse you know you get a good recruiting class and whatnot but just tell us a little bit about what that transition was like and how you got it started to go in the right direction.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you're right. Uh, the cupboard was pretty bare when I first got here. Um, I was also an assistant at Gateway Community College uh, the two years prior uh, to taking the the head job here. Uh, and during those two years, we kind of, uh, we ended up being towards the bottom and, and, climbing to the top the you know the second year uh that was when this job opened up um and i applied for it and obviously got that um you know at, at that point in my coaching career you know kind of like a lot of young coaches i thought that i had a lot of things figured out um, and i quickly realized it was going to be a lot tougher than i than i thought um you know, by the third year here, we ended up um, in the postseason and had a chance to, uh, you know, we got um, – we were eliminated in uh, in a game that if had we won, we would have went to the, the region championship. Uh, and then a couple years after that, you know, we got to the region championship, and then a couple years after that, we were in the World Series. But uh, it was definitely a process, um, you know, I mean, just as far as hitting is concerned, uh, which is, I feel like, probably my biggest strength as a coach. um, For the first seven years that I was here, um, we made uh, incremental gains every single year in OPS, slugging percentage, batting average, you name it. uh, For pretty much seven straight years, uh, which was when we went to the World Series in 2017. Uh, And then once again, you know, I kind of thought, now, now I really have it figured out. Um, you know, seven straight years, our offense is getting better. We're at the world series. Uh, so I was feeling pretty good about myself at that point again. Uh, and that was around the time that I started to get a little bit more into social media and Twitter and, and kind of following some of the the latest trends and who's doing what and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I was like, you know what, you know, we can still, you know, get a little bit better. And, and so we made some changes to, you know, kind of how we do business with, you know, just coaching our hitters and whatnot. Uh, and to kind of shorten up the story, um, we got worse the next year. And I justified it as, you know, shoot, we can't just keep getting better every single year. Um, eventually that's got to kind of, you know, come back down to earth uh, we had just went to the World Series and lost quite a few guys off our roster. So, again, I was like, you know what? Happened. Uh, next year, happened again. Uh, we Even worse offensive numbers. So, at that point, I was like, you know what? Um, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. And when we got worse, uh, maybe let's go back to some of the things that I know works. Um You know, because for those couple years, we started to, you know, emphasize pulling the baseball more, you know, pulling the baseball in the air and, you know, doing damage, all that kind of stuff, which is good and all. But uh, the things that we did at practice as far as, you know, just BP and and all those types of things, I went back to um, because I know they work uh, and it's then the following year, we we uh, we started to get better again. And that was when the pandemic hit and, um, you know, the season was cut short. And then the following year we, we went back to the World Series again. So um, it's one of those things as a coach, you know, probably, you know, it's, it's something that every coach should probably go through is is a little bit of a struggle and start to understand, you know, uh, the, the things that, you know, you know, help your teams be successful. Uh, and we went back to those things um, and um, we're better off for it. Uh, so in a way, I'm, I'm kind of glad that, that we went through it. Um, humbled me a little bit, um, which is always a good thing, too. Um, so uh, but those two years, 2018 and 2019, were the, were the years that I probably the learn, that I learned the most about myself as a coach not just hitting but just overall kind of handling a team but um i'm a better cal- i'm a better coach now for it um it just was a couple couple kind of rough years but uh um you know it's uh i think we're we're in the going in the right direction uh now again i, I like uh where we're at as a club and i think uh i think we'll have another another
0: pretty good year I love hearing that. And so I, I think, obviously, if, if you're telling us that stuff, you're a very self-reflective first person, and <clears throat> I think we could all benefit from being more that way. So, but uh, one of the things that you, know, I, I, you shared with me is your uh, coaching philosophy PowerPoint and the thing that you share with the team. And so I'd love to be able to add that to the stream. And you just kind of walk us through some of the different highlights that you share with them. Uh, you want to share with us and just outlining your philosophy Uh, and so I'll add that to the stream right now and you're going to talk about uh, different bp rounds so I'd love to hear more about that
1: yeah so first off um, this kind of came about uh, as a result of the the pandemic and uh, I was kind of sitting around my house and, and thinking you know I don't want to waste this time uh we were not you know our season was um was was basically done for i wasn't really quite sure what summer or even the following fall was going to look like so uh i started kind of putting some things together and the main reason i started putting it together was just for just in case that you know when we got to fall baseball maybe there was a chance that I wasn't going to be able to be, um, you know, as hands on as I'd like to be or maybe we weren't going to have any fall practices at all, which is what it ended up being. So I put this together so I could get a little bit of a head start in uh, with the new guys in our program for them to understand the things that we do, why we do them, um, see it in writing, also see it. you know some some visual aids and and all those types of things and and just kind of explain our philosophy um i don't know if that's the reason that why we or ended up uh you know going to the world series last year but i think it's one of the i think it helped uh gave us a little bit of a head start um so but yeah as far as uh, um you know this uh, this screen that's up right now um as far as our bp is concerned uh For the most part all of our vp rounds are involve the technical aspects of the swing and putting the swing together uh you know there's there's and i'm not saying uh any other ways are wrong but you know i've been in programs and i know programs where um you know they take rounds you know hey runners at second we're trying to move them to third this round or we're trying to score from third here uh those types of things which are good um but If your swing sucks, I guess, (laughs) Uh, it's going to be tougher to execute those rounds. Uh, So we're trying to put the swing together. So, you know, as far as these 10 BP rounds, one of the first ones that we work on fairly often, um, you know, putting the barrel on the inside half of the baseball, to me, I always tell our players, if there's one thing that you take from playing here for a couple of years, it's that right there, uh, as far as, uh, what you're trying to do with the baseball, um, to go back to, uh, around the time of the pandemic, right before that hit, we were actually playing, um, a team that was going to be in the world baseball classic team, Brazil. Uh, they were, they were on our schedule. Barry Larkin was actually the head coach of that team. And Steve Finley was an assistant. Troy Hawkins was an assistant. So I knew that during BP, um, I wasn't gonna waste this opportunity to talk to Barry Larkin about hitting. Uh, so I went over to their dugout and started talking about a few things. And uh I, we essentially got on to the, the topic of staying inside the baseball. And uh he asked me, he goes, What do you think that me or what does that mean to you? Because that term means different things to everyone. Obviously, your hands are inside the baseball um on every swing but there's multiple ways to look at it. One is, uh, which is what he said. He goes, if I just think about putting my barrel on the inside half of the baseball, uh, you know, that's really the, the main cue that I think about. Um, which stuck with me, obviously, because, you know, Barry Larkin could hit a little bit. Um, but it also can mean, uh, you know, keeping your hands going in a straight line towards the pitcher. It can also mean keeping your barrel inside, your hands, uh, as you approach the pitch. Uh, so there's multiple meanings and one of those cues might work better for a player than, than something else. Uh, so my job is to find out which cue works for which guy and whatever cue works for them, that, that means inside the baseball for you. Okay. Uh, but as a program, uh, that's definitely one of the things we put an emphasis on. Um, the second one on there, first hop in the infield dirt, this is one of the the rounds that we used to do on a regular basis until 2018 and 2019. We did away with this um, because I got infatuated with with hitting balls in the air, and, and we got ended up with, with long and loopy swings. But I stole this round from, uh, I, I don't remember where I read it or saw it, but it was uh, from Mike Schmidt. Uh, and Mike Schmidt has, you know, 500 plus home runs. Um, mm-hmm. but he used to say, uh, that whenever his swing kind of felt a little bit long, um, that in BP, he would try to hit line drives where the first hop happened in the infield dirt area. Uh, that's where he wanted the first bounce to be. Uh, and that was a round that we started to go back the last couple of years. Um, you know, this is a type of round for a guy that, you know, Maybe has his attack angle is a little bit too, you know, much of an uppercut type swing. Uh, a guy that doesn't stay through the ball well enough. Once he makes contact, it's it's up and off the baseball, and um, he's hitting a lot of topspin ground balls, those types of things, or even topspin line drives. Uh, so it, it's a it's a very simple round. It's a it's an external goal um, and. It helps with with those couple things as far as, like I said, flattening out the swing a little bit for guys that are a little bit too, uh, getting the ball a little bit too much in the air. And in my personal opinion, I feel like in practice, you should be working slightly lower than you would in a game. And by that, I mean the trajectory uh, off the bat. Um, in a game, obviously, you're facing pitchers with, with a little bit more velo. So the ball is going to maybe make contact. You know, There's not going to be as much... Uh, you know, drop to the ball. Uh, so the ball is going to make higher contact a little bit on, as far as on the barrel. Um, so you're going to naturally, um, you know, hit a few more balls uh, higher up on the barrel, I guess. Uh, but I always tell our hitters um, to work slightly lower in practice than you would in the game. Um, as far as that third round on there, two strikes. Um, we do a two-strike round literally every day, every day uh even on game days. And we do it because 50% of your at-bats are going to get to two strikes. And if that's the case if, if if you have, you know, four plate appearances and in two of them you're hitting with two strikes on average, uh why why don't we you work on it very often. Uh so we have a certain approach, you know, I I'm, I'm probably not going to get into our personal approach uh as far as our philosophy, but I will say this as far as uh, a two-strike round. Um, it accomplishes a few different things. Number one, uh, it gets you work on, you know, hitting random pitches because we don't just throw fastballs and it's not just breaking balls. The hitter does not know what's coming during that round. Uh, so we're hitting. You know, it also helps to have a good BP guy or guys. Uh, I throw pretty good BP. We have another assistant that's uh, a left-hander. Uh, so it's perfect. We get both sides of it. Both of us mm-hmm. are able to mix in random pitches, uh, so you so you're facing random pitches. Which there's a lot of guys that look really good in when it's 50 miles an hour right down the middle all the time. But sure. once you start changing speeds and, and the ball's moving up, you know a little all over the place, uh, that changes things. So that's the other reason uh, we work on that round every single day. And you know, I guess the third reason is our guys are now confident to hit with two strikes, uh, in games because we do it all the time. You know, that it's, it's, uh, it's a very, um, normally uncomfortable situation that, that they're more comfortable in now because we work on it all the time. Uh, preparation, you know, leads to, to confidence. And, you know, we, uh, we led our conference in, in the least amount of strikeouts last year, offensively, which it's not like, uh, um, that's everything about hitting, but it helps. Um, shoot, we played a conference doubleheader last year. We were forced to play a, a lot of doubleheaders, but we played a conference doubleheader last year. And in the first game we didn't strike out one time in the second game, we strike out once. Um, so our guys put the barrel on a lot of balls and it's not like we just say, we're just trying to put the ball in play. That's, that's not us. Uh, we led the conference in, in OPS too. Uh, so, uh, we can slug it around a little bit. Um, As far as the the fourth one on there, no stride uh, and keep your back heel on the ground. This is one of the first things that I look at uh, in a hitter uh, is what does their back foot do? Um, If your back foot, when you finish your swing, if your heel ends up kind of pointed towards the catcher or kind of flopped around towards towards the plate, uh, it's usually telling me a couple different things. One, it's telling me, you're not decelerating very well. Number two, it's usually what that tells me is your back foot is moving independent of your hips. Uh, you want your hips to turn your back foot. Uh, so if, if the back foot ends up spinning uh, and does that, uh, that's usually, that's like I said, that's a, one of the first things I look at in a hitter. Uh, so this drill helps out with that. It helps out as far as the sequencing of, of things because it should be, you know proximal to distal. I mean, in your hips, move your, turn your back foot, your hips, move your hands. Uh, the hands don't initiate movement, they get moved. Same thing with the back foot. It doesn't initiate movement. it gets moved. Uh, and the only way to do that sometimes is to force our guys to keep their back heels in the ground. Uh, and that helps kind of reinforce the, you know, that, uh, the correct way to swing. Uh, it's tough, uh, to, I guess, make changes in a swing, you know, by the time I get these guys, you know, they're 19, 20 years old, um, a lot of their swing, like the DNA, the DNA of their swing is essentially, you know, it's, it kind of is what it is. Uh, so it takes a lot of repetitions to, uh, kind of fix some of those things. Um, and, and, you know, as far as the repetitions are concerned that one of the things I talk about with our guys, obviously, uh, everybody's, you know, quality is better than quantity, but to me, it's both. To me, you have to have a lot of quality repetitions, uh, when you're down in the cages, uh, when you're, you know, taking BP, when you're on your own, whatever, uh, because it's not just, mindless repetitions, they're going to get you better. I always like to use the analogy. And and I said this to my players a few times, like, you know, I've been, I've been driving for whatever, 20, 25 years now, since I've got my uh, license and I'm not really any better at driving than I was when I first started it. And it's because when I drove here today, I wasn't trying to get better at driving. I was on autopilot. And that's what a lot of guys are at practice is they're just on autopilot. Uh, and I want our guys to understand like these things that we're working on in BP, you also have to take it down to the cages and and get that work in. Uh, and to be honest, I don't like to be down in the cages with our guys all the time. Uh, there's things that they're supposed to do, uh, but I don't think they need a coach over their shoulder all the time. I think guys need to feel like they have the freedom to experiment and also have some fun at practice as well. Uh, there's certain things that I want to get done, but um, over the years, I found myself, um, coaching less and we're accomplishing more, uh, you know, shoot a couple weeks ago, we were taking BP on the field, uh, in one of these rounds, we were trying to, you know, I can't remember what we were doing, but the first two swings, I was just like, man, those, those were not good. And the old me, uh, probably five or six years ago would have stepped in right then and said, Hey you're not doing this or you need to do this but i decided not to say anything and that kid fixed it the next swing and which is the best thing ever because now that kid he did it on his own i didn't say anything uh and now he's 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 learning he's learning more than me just having to feed him information and uh you know like i always tell our guys you're going to be your own best hitting coach um so that was great to see. And I was glad that I didn't step in and say something. So, um, but anyway, to kind of get, get back on, on track here, so to speak, um, um, as far yeah,
0: as, let's, uh, yeah, let's go, yeah. Go one, one of the things that, <clears throat> that I want to discuss with you too, is, is the mentality behind it. And uh, I, I really like uh, your BP rounds. And I think most of the other ones that, that I've seen that I'm looking at are, are pretty self-explanatory. And I think they're really well thought out. But when we're talking about you know, making these changes and you're talking about player evaluation, uh, one of the first things that you put in your PowerPoint, which I agree with, is you're talking about the mentality behind it. And so is that one of the first things that you, when, when they get to campus, one of the first things that you discuss with them? So I, I think that you mentioned you put it in a sequential order of, you know, and, and, and it could go either way. Uh, but is, is mentality and, and focus and deliberate practice and all of those things that, that you've even hit on a little bit, is that really the first step that you go through, or it, do you have a different process?
1: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, the, the very first day that uh, that we get together uh, as a team, uh, we we spent the first day, probably 30, 45 minutes, uh, me kind of talking about um, – you know, expectations and standards of the program and kind of our approach to um, the game. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, that we believe in is there's going to be, number one, there's going to be calls that go against us in a game. Um, you know, whether it's a pitcher out there that, you know, doesn't get a, a strike called or, or vice versa with a hitter at the plate or a play at first base or just whatever. Um, I want our guys to understand that uh, as far as body language, okay, we want to make sure that we show that it, it didn't affect us. Uh, mentally, uh, if, if our players were in here right now and you say, what does the coach tell you to think when, when one of these things happen, uh, in unison, they would say, uh, thank you for making me a better baseball player. Uh, cause that's what they're taught. That's what I tell them to, you know, as soon as that, that call, that call is made and it goes against us, uh, obviously it puts us in a tougher situation as a team. Uh, but if you dwell on that, uh, and you let it affect you mentally, you sh- outwardly show it in your body language, um, then it does us no good. But if your immediate thought is thank you for making me a better baseball player, Mr. Umpire, uh, it, it turns the tide, so to speak. Uh, and that's what I want. I just want, I want tough players. Uh, and I'm not saying that they should never be disappointed in, uh, in, you know, something that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but, uh, I just want guys that let literally nothing affects them. Uh, you know, every single day we start out the day in a, in a classroom and we do five minutes of, of visualization every single day. Uh, and it's not just sit there and, and, you know, daydream about how good you can be as a player. Mm-hmm. We talk about uh, number one, why it's good for you. Uh, number two, uh, we talk about, you know, kind of how to, you um, you know, how to view things, what you should be uh, doing during that visualization time. Um, But I think it's really important and I don't think enough kids would necessarily do it on their own. So we, in in a sense, kind of force them to do it Um, early in the fall here in Arizona, obviously out on the field, it's like, you know, it's like 105, 110 degrees. So we don't do that outside. I don't want our guys just laying out in the grass for five minutes and thinking about how hot it is. So we do that inside. Uh... And we also spend classroom time inside talking about, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we just mentioned, you know, if we have a scrimmage uh, or a game, you know, usually the next day we're, we're back in talking through some situations um, to make sure guys understand, like, this is what should have happened or, you know, we did great here and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but shoot, there's days uh, we sometimes we spend the first, 30, 40 minutes of practice, uh, inside, uh, just talking through things, you know, guys asking questions, um, and we encourage them to ask questions. Uh, uh, even if it's somehow some, you know, constructive criticism for me or the coaching staff, I'm, I ask our players to get better. Uh, I want them to help me get better. Uh, so if there's things that they see that we can get better at, uh, I want to know. And, and I, I encourage them to ask questions on why we made certain decisions. You know, one of our catchers the other day, we made a, a first and third call on defense uh, a certain way. And he came up to me afterwards like, hey, why did why did you um, put this certain play on? And I answered the question. But it was good that he was paying attention and, and wanted to know mm-hmm. those things and kind of see the game through the eyes of a coach. Uh, but I just think those things are, are really important and, and overlooked. Um You know, I just I don't think enough time is really spent on on that side of the game. And, you know, um, you know, I want our guys to be confident, but I also want them to be brutally honest with themselves as far as what their weaknesses are, uh, things they can improve on. Um, So to me, that's what mental toughness is, is is being brutally honest with yourself as far as your weaknesses, but also not letting that necessarily affect or erode your your confidence as a player sure. uh, and once you kind of get to that point um you know that's the first hurdle you know kind of the next hurdle is you know like how good do you want to be do you want to do you want to be great okay. uh because greatness is a is a choice mm-hmm. uh, and greatness can be lonely sometimes because mm-hmm. uh it requires more effort than than you know, just the, the average baseball player. And that, that means sometimes being the first guy pra- to practice. some guy Sometimes the last guy to leave. Uh, and then on top of that, not just being that guy, but hopefully bringing some of those other guys along, along with you. Uh, so you're not just kind of doing that on your own. Um, but uh, you know, I, there's a lot of guys that, that, that want to be, great and then when they realize uh you know, when that when it comes to time to do the stuff that's required to be great they don't want to be great anymore they're okay mm-hmm. with good enough and that's something we talk about often uh in our program is good enough is the enemy of great if you just want to be good enough then this isn't the program for you mm-hmm. um we're, we're trying to uh we're trying to be the best we're trying to uh win a bunch of games um and, and develop players in the process. But um, like I said, there's there's a price to pay with, with greatness, and sometimes it means less, less time playing video games, less time you know, with friends and family, but um, it is what it is.
0: No doubt. No doubt. And you know, one of the things that I think that you've hit on a couple of times, which I, I think is really interesting too, and an approach that I think we can all do a better job of, is helping guys, especially with their swing, Okay, the, you're never gonna have a perfect swing, and I mean it's. I've never, and maybe I'm just a terrible coach. I have no idea, but I've never run into a guy that I've I have made his swing gone from terrible to to like elite. Right? Uh, I didn't do that. Maybe we've given them tools to be able to uh, to work on, but a lot of it is self awareness. A lot of it has to do on their own. I mean, we just we're so limited with time, and especially you you get them for you know, a fall and a spring and they might be gone. And so just understanding where they're at, what their goals are, uh, how great they want to be, because, you know, you, you have several different guys who you'll have, you know, you may have a guy for three years uh, and, and you have a lot more evolution that you can go through with that guy. Uh, But ideally you want them for a year and then they're they're you guys are winning you're going on to bigger, better things, but just understanding, okay, here's how your swing works. And here's how we can be successful within that. Because if you put all big league guys next to each other, all elite guys, they're all going to have differences. And whose swing is the best? You know, whoever is the most effective for the longest period of time, right? Uh, and then understanding what they're doing w- within that. So can we get better? Absolutely. But I love the approach that you're also taking of, hey, let's understand what we already do well uh, hunting pitches in those zones and you know making sure that that we're staying true to who we are while also you know continuing to to hone our weaknesses and understanding what they are because I, I think that I know I, in the past I've gotten lost in the search for the perfect swing and now I'm, I'm just I'm to the point now where where I'm trying to understand how much time I actually have with you know X player how good they want to be and then we can come up with a plan. Uh, to be able to maximize whatever that is in the time period that we have. And, and I, I feel really comfortable with that because I, I used to be able, I used to beat my head uh, just against the wall all the time, trying to get guys to fix their swing. And, you know, sometimes I, I look back going, man, maybe, you know, maybe they didn't want it as bad as I did and I was wasting and not wasting all of that time. Cause I still, I, I want to coach well, but I was taking the wrong approach with it. If that all makes sense. I don't know if you've had ever had that transition too, but it's, it's, it's freed me up to be able to go hey I'm not saying you're wrong I'm saying here's what you do well and then let's develop a plan around that if that makes sense
1: yeah no I mean that that makes a, a ton of sense uh, to me and and you know um, you know that's hitting is definitely not uh, there's nothing cookie cutter about it there's mm-hmm. there's guys that are, are successful doing uh, lots of different things oh. uh and and one of the things i put in the in that powerpoint was you know i uh i explained to our players there's something that's in here that i say that you should do that you'll or, or shouldn't do <laughs> that you'll be able to turn on a major league game tonight and you'll and see you'll him see do it. the opposite uh, yeah. and he's making millions of dollars and i'm telling my guys don't do this or or whatever <laughs> uh there's always going to be exceptions to the rule um So in this day and age of I mean, you can essentially um, you can find out a lot about hitting if you know who to follow on social media and and all those types of things. And that's one of the I guess um, the jobs that I've kind of taken for our players is try to help them find out or or navigate that somewhat and find out this is what's good. This is what's not uh, type thing uh my players probably get tired of me sending them uh you know video clips and things from twitter i i we have our our team messaging app that we use slack and I'm, I'm always sending stuff on there like i really like this or i send it to specific players uh because something i tell one of my players you know at practice i may not want the guy standing five feet from him <laughs> to hear that at all uh, sure. because i it will mess up his swing but it's going to help the other guy swing uh, and that's, what's tricky about hitting uh, is I don't have a lot of time to work individually with these players. Like they can mm-hmm. do, you know, uh, you know, they can go to a, a hitting instructor and, and right. do those types of things and, and work, they can work individually with guys. I don't have that kind of time. Right. Uh, exactly. so a lot of the hitting instruction I do is as a team and very broad, okay. but then I also have to find ways to make connections with, with each of those players uh, individually and kind of say, you know, we're doing this round today essentially for you type thing mm-hmm. or, you know, so on and so forth. But, um, that's the, that's the toughest part of, about hitting is, is, uh, um, is that kind of stuff and and knowing what what's out there and, uh, in the social media and what they're seeing and, and trying sure. to,
0: they're inundated.
1: Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, there's so much information.
0: Right. Well, and for me, you know, with, with my, my ever changing progression of, of coaching. It, It ultimately comes down to do they want to do it and we can set up an awesome environment and you can set up the perfect drill, but in skill acquisition, if there's not deliberate practice, I know you've used that word as well, which I could not agree more deliberate practice and focus on the reps that they're going to have. They're just going to go back to, you know, use the car driving analogy. They're going to go back to old patterns. And if you're telling them, what to do it's they may do it but it's going to be more of an activity rather than they're working to mastery and so i just really encourage and that's it's not easy like (laughs) taking a step back you mentioned it it's not easy to do because if i feel like if 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 guys would (laughs) work really hard and listen to what we say we have a, a lot of good information then they're going to get better but then we have the human element which you know 50 percent of the time they're they're tuning us out anyways as coaches or 40 percent, i think is is the thing so anyways long story short i, I want to discuss like what what you guys are doing uh, for swing decisions i know that that's kind of a a fad now <laughs> but uh i i truly think that it's like one of the most important things and it, it's silly because 10 years ago they're like yeah swing at strikes like yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So we we've, we've kind of evolved back to, OK, these guys are absolutely filthy. We want to try and land on pitches in the middle of the zone. And you guys have had a really successful uh, walk to strikeout ratio. You talked about your two strike approach a little bit or, or or you you hinted at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, how like is do you think that two strike rounds and you guys doing that and then really just hammering it home on, hey, we want to make good decisions? Uh, is is that the most simple way to do it? Because, you know, you see guys tracking it. Uh, we don't have TrackMan. Uh, we don't have a ton of resources to, and I don't want to sit behind and and give, you know, during practice anyways and just tally everything. And so just trying to figure out ways to be able to give them instant feedback, uh, I, I think is always a good thing. And so I would love to hear just your thoughts on how could we do better at training that skill? Uh, because you guys have really been successful at it.
1: Yeah, uh, to me, I guess the 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 place to start is to make sure that they're um, on time first. Because when you're on time, generally your eyes are going to see what they need to see and, and track track pitches better. Uh, so, in order to be on time, you have to have a consistent time that you're starting. Meaning everything for us is, you know, work off a of handbrake from the from the pitcher. Uh, and if we are slightly you know if we're a little bit late then we start slightly before handbrake if we're a little bit early then we start uh, you know a little bit after handbrake type thing but everything should work off of off of handbrake first uh, once you've got the timing part down um, then it makes things a lot easier um, I always tell our guys when we get to two strikes that we want to be able to uh, make our decision, you know, a, a tad later, meaning, uh, so then for the most part, we're trying to start, uh, a tad after handbrake when when we're in a two strike count, uh, not every time, um, there's little adjustments and things that we can make as far as that, that process is concerned. But, um, so like I said, number one, it's, it's work off of, off of handbrake. Uh, number two, um, I think just again, taking around, uh, on a regular basis uh, where you're not knowing what's coming uh, is highly beneficial to tracking pitches and, and all those types of things. Um, so part of, part of having a good team, to be honest, is how good is your BP guy? <laughs> um, I, I feel like we have a couple really good ones and that helps. Uh, we don't really use machines at all. Uh, Not to say that teams that do or whatever are are wrong, uh, but we don't like crank up the velocity uh, to like 90 miles an hour and, and, and take BP all the time. Um, We've done it occasionally, uh, but I don't think we've done it more than once or twice in the last couple of years. Um, The way we do work on velo, um, and I don't even remember how you pronounce his name. The guy that used to be the hitting coach for the Cubs, John Maley or Malley. Um, he, I remember I reading something once where they did, uh, kind of a velo BP where their um, he was basically throwing from a seated position behind an L screen, like 22 feet from the plate. Um, and that short overhand toss is like 35 miles an hour, uh, which equates to, as far as just reaction time, um, upper eighties. And obviously if you throw it harder than 35, it equates to a little bit, you know, faster than that um i ra- i my preference is to do things like that because it, for a couple reasons one it doesn't like blow up guys bats and and you know they get jammed off and of, you know machine throwing 90 and it's like it's no fun uh not, and again not to say that that's uh, wrong or whatever um but to me with machines the biggest issue is um the pitch doesn't slow down as much as it gets to the plate as it does off a guy that's on the mountain throwing 90. You know, when you, when you get out the radar gun and the guy's throwing 90 and then when it crosses the plate, it's like 80. Well, machine kind of stays, stays pretty much that speed the whole way. Uh, and so the time, and like I said, the timing aspect to me, uh, it just messes up a lot of hitters. Um, and then again, there's no arm motion to work off of timing of handbrake. Um, And to me, like I said, that's paramount is, uh, how do you know if you're, if what adjustment to make, if you're late, um, the only adjustment, you have to make an adjustment off of your timing. Like, when are you getting started and when are you starting that initial move of, of, uh, you know, getting some rhythm into your swing? Um, so, so that's, uh, the, the biggest points for me are, are that we definitely encourage also our guys to get on, uh, um, you know, there's some vision kind of training apps that are free that game sense and, and all that there's a few other ones that uh i encourage our guys to to get on to to train you know just recognizing pitches standing in and on guys throwing bullpens uh we do actually do at this time of year some kind of um vision kind of training charts that uh they use in the air force um, a little bit uh, so we try to do a number of of different things uh to help with that Um, but it also helps having, you know, enough bat speed to be able to wait a little bit longer to make those decisions. Uh, that's a big part of the process too. So it's not ever just one thing. Uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you've got the best bat speed on the team and the best rotational acceleration, you know, as far as dealing with blast sensor, which we use, um, your, your time to contact is going to be a lot, uh, a lot less than somebody else's and that gives you more time to make those decisions. So, you know, that's, uh, to me, they kind of go hand in hand.
0: Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you are listening. I also wanted to remind you that you can find the video portion at the AOTC channel on TV. Have a great week.